Hello, everyone. My name is Alex Lee. I'm the CTO of Smeal. Today, I'd like to introduce you to Smeal and our social music platform called Smeal Nation. And the topic of my talk is Smeal Nation, building a social music platform. I'd like to share some of our experience in the past several years, how we build this platform. Uh, in the end, I will probably leave five to 10 minutes for Q&A, but you can always reach me at alex.smeal.com. So over the past five years, Smeal has built a lot of very beautiful apps, including six diamonds and six platinums. Uh, last month, actually, we were the, we were the top 10 uh, publisher on iOS. All these apps, including some of them you are very familiar with, the original Ocarina, MT Pain, Glee, uh, the very successful wide coverage Magical Piano, which have 55 million installs so far, and also the very viral Songify outdoor app, very innovative musical video app, uh, Cinebeat and MadPad, as well as the latest uh, social music app called Sing Karaoke and Guitar. So at Smeal, we're building the largest global community allow users to create music through their mobile devices. We're trying to make music social, interactive, and collaborative again. It's kind of like we're building a global um, a music studio. Anyone can walk in to start making music. No equipment, no prior training, no physical presence required. And the music we got, the community we got, is very authentic, creative, and global. And there's nothing like that right now in the market. Take a look at the evolution of content distribution. So in the beginning, we all have radio. So you, you cannot pick what you want to listen. You have to passively consume the content. So later on, YouTube come along, allow you to select your content to enjoy on demand. Then we have this social mechanism like uh, Facebook and Twitter. So you can start sharing what you love with your friend. With Smeal, what we created is a participatory and a very collaborative music platform, which allows users to create music together. So you can join your, your friend's performance to form a duet, to form a group performance. We believe everyone is creative, and we want to enable everyone to be able to create music and share the love and connect. At Smeal, we aim to realize the immense potential of audio and to inspire people to reach a new level of self-expression, as well as create a ve very interactive social medium, allow us to connect the world using music. Over the last five years, we have grown quite a lot. So this chart shows our accumulated uh, install base. In 2011, we had 34 million installs. That's a year we introduced the freemium apps. In 2012, we expanded our coverage to Android market from iOS to Android. In 2013, we have seen a significant growth. And right now, we have about 115 million installs. And our goal is by the end of the year to hit 155 million. Among them, we had about 1.1 billion songs streamed through our network. And also, every day, we are receiving about half a terabyte of user-generated content. All of these are performance created by user or joined by the user groups. Next, I'm going to showcase a group performance created by one of our apps called Sing Karaoke on our platform by a, several um, organically combined group, community groups. 
So this is a heat map of our community, and these are the two groups. mind this performance we didn't do any processing on our side. All these users use their mobile phone and they are not necessarily physically allocated in the same place. Some from Indonesia, some from America, some in Canada, some in Europe. And they found each other through our platform. And they started making open calls, that's a term we use, to, for you to invite your friends or your fr uh, other people who love you or follow you to join your performance. And then we render all those on our server. So this is a group performance rendering. So a lot of technology went in there. So each day, and also we're creating about hundreds of thousands of such performances on our network. So that's a, the scale and the amount of things you can think about. There are a lot of things has to go right to make this platform a success, including a lot of innovative, cutting-edge uh, audio technologies. Um, so we have pitch correction. We have real-time audio on both on mostly iOS devices, and also we made it possible on the Android device. Uh, we also have group rendering. We also have performance scoring. So, and on the other side, we also have world-class mobile engineers to build the, some of the most beautiful apps out there and create a slick user experience. But for today's talk, I'd like to mostly focus on the back end, how we build this platform. It's called Simulation. I realize there's a lot of, there are a lot of um, entrepreneurs in, the, in the, this room, so I hope this experience can help you. Um, but by no means, these are the only way to do things right. These are a lot of experience we learn and I'd just like to share with you. And also, I'd like to keep this very technical. So here we go. <laughs> so simulation platform, what it is? It is basically a platform providing JSON over HTTP APIs for a lot of our iOS and Android clients, also including mobile as well, or including web as well. So as of today, we launched the smu.com website, also utilizing the same set of APIs. So there are a lot of services coming to this platform to make it working. One is identity, so define who you are. That's actually a very, sounds simple, but actually a very complicated topic, especially you're talking about mobile devices. Like iOS, they have this a lot of privacy concerns, etc. So this is the one big chunk of service we provide. Then after you identify who you are, we give you social services, like the follow, feed, love, comment, and notification. So this essentially, we're building our own social network. We're not trying to tag into a LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook. 
a lot of this we believe is for music, everything is very specialized. So that's why we pick the way to build all this thing by ourselves. Then we have this storefront and content management. So this is a way for us to deliver premium content to our users. These are the famous songs, the billboard songs we li licensed from uh, music labels, and uh, we put in a store for our user to find and uh, enjoy them. We also have, I mentioned, the rendering service. So this makes the whole join mechanics work. So our network is uh, very different than others. A lot of other existing social networks, when you see a piece of content, you can take action like love, comment, but you cannot join them. You cannot collaborate with them. Our, our network, if you have one song which invited maybe 100 users, you got thousands or even millions of these kind of combinations, different groups. They're going to sing duet. They're going to sing group songs. So we do all this rendering on the server side, trying to make it work. So this is actually a very, I wouldn't go too much into detail, but there are a lot of challenges to do this because everybody's pitch is different. Your phone's volume is different. So we did a lot of this uh, work around on the server to make it work. Um, obviously, if you upload a lot of content to our server, we have to provide ways to store them and to stream to you. So I actually have another panel discussion in 430 to talk about this with uh, gentlemen from uh, Vivo and uh, Pandora on this. And analytics. So nowadays, I think none of, um, no business can survive without analytics. So these are also a service we provide for our apps to take advantage of. So we have seen significant growth in the last year. So here's some stats to just uh, let you see the um, scale and the amount of data we're crunching through. So our peak network bandwidth is about 1.5 gigabps. And we're storing half a terabyte of data, which roughly equals to about 8,000 hours of non-stopping music streaming every day. And the total storage capacity right now we have is about 60 terabytes. Uh, actually, not capacity, but how, how much content we have generated by users. Uh, users are uploading about 120,000 performance a day. And we are sending out 35 million push notifications to inform people we have a new piece of content, or one of your friends start to love your performance or following you. Uh, we're taking about 100 million API calls a day on our servers. And Analytics-wise, we're collecting 1.5 billion events a month. So, like I said, I'd like to go a little bit more technical and uh, share some experience with you. A lot of them really we learned from hard lessons, and uh, hopefully it will help you to a certain extent. As we all know, uh, software is about complexity. Developing on mobile and also to introduce a social platform is not a trivial business. Uh, just imagine how many combinations of the iOS operating systems, Android devices, thousands of Android devices, a lot of Apple devices out there with mobile client. There's a lot of things can go wrong. So how we dealt with it, there's a very important principle called a KISS. Keep it a simple, short, whichever you call it. So and also this is a very famous quote I like a lot. We're trying to build a very um, simplified, simpli case-oriented culture in the whole company, not only from product design, also from engineering. So every time you hear a requirement, you hear something, you should always ask, can I make it simpler? Can I do it in different stages or release it in an MVP product first, then iterate on it? 
try not to over-engineer. So I have, in my career, I have seen fair amount of over-engineering or over-generalization things. All of those things hurt and sometimes kill. So that's we, when we started, we definitely trying to keep things as simple as possible and iterate as fast as we can. One rule you can think about is fool me twice. Basically, the first time you see a problem, don't try to generalize it. Only when you see the se second time or third time, you're trying to make a tool or trying to make it repeatable, whichever. But first time, do it dirty, do it quick. Get it working. Um, this actually goes in very interesting thing is, sometimes we look back, uh, in our system, we have a lot of settings and knobs. So especially nowadays, since the software seems like uh, so easy to build now, a lot of product managers will come to you and say, hey, uh, I want to do this, but leave it as a knob. Tell me, let me control this. I want to tune it from 1 to 10 all the time. So if you're not careful to introduce those kind of things, it becomes a huge mess in the end. At one time, I saw we have about 60 knobs for the single app on the server side. So the question I ask them is, are you even sure this knob worked now after a year of development? I mean, did anyone spend time to test every single knob or every combination with every release? Obviously, the answer is no. Then how can you be even confident to put that knob in? Right? If it's not important enough, don't do it. So that's just basically some extension of this rule, how we do it. Um, the other thing I'll talk about is the release cycle. So we obviously use uh, Scrum. We, we do sprints. But one thing I think a lot of time people forgot is about is a fixed release cycle is very, very important. So in early days, we definitely face a lot of challenges. So obviously, usually you're trying to um, debate between two variables, scope and timeline. If you let both of them lose, you end up in a situation is every time you're talking about one thing, the other variable kicking. So you, for example, you extend your release by a week. Let's say, let's get it done next week. By the middle of the week, another product manager come to you and say, hey, I want to add this feature. Is that possible? All right, let's do it. As soon as you do that, you miss the deadline. Okay, extend another week. So a lot of these things get into um, unnecessary negotiation, unnecessary um, crunch time for everyone. So we basically adopt a way to do a fixed recycle. So four weeks is what we usually do. The reason to do four weeks mostly is because for mobile clients, you don't want to update it so frequent. I know a lot of companies, they do daily, they do weekly. But for our server side, actually, we do weekly releases. For the mobile client, we do four weeks. Um, and we do four weekly uh, sprints in that. And if you look at chart, we also define a couple checkpoints, which is very important. Whenever you promise something, there has to be a hard deadline about when your feature will be completed, when your code will be frozen, and when you will be submission. So this gives us a guarantee enough time for QA, for everyone to verify, to check things. You, a lot of companies you see in our past, the same thing is, everybody like, when are you going to release? I don't know, maybe tomorrow, 7 p.m. Then at 7 p.m., QA got a build. Then you tell QA, you have two hours. We need to submit tonight. Then how can you imagine anybody can do a good job at that moment? And forgot to mention, on mobile, if you make a mistake, on your client software, you are doomed for a long, long time. So the release cycle is not like you flip a button, it goes live. You have to go through a review cycle, which usually is a week or two weeks. So we definitely learned our lesson. We definitely messed up several times. As these are very, very hard time for us to 
go through that, but luckily we went through, and that's why we implemented a lot of process trying to avoid these kind of things happen again. Also, if you see the chart, a lot of days boundaries we set on Wednesday. So that's something like very interesting. Most people, you talk to them, what's your release cycle looks like? They go, oh, we release on Friday. Seriously, is this the best day to release a software? I mean, considering, especially on mobile, your peak usage usually climb up on Friday night. Then you got to the whole weekend, which is usually your, your best traffic time. So do you really want to release something on Friday morning and bearing the risk in my tank and then getting everybody in a room or crunch mode to work through the weekend? No, you don't want to do that. So pretty much we set everything to be Wednesday boundary. Let's do everything in the middle of the week. As well as the rule is we never release anything after 5 p.m. Unless, obviously, if it's an emergency, we'll do it. So you reserve your energy, reserve your power to the true emergency. Don't try to kill yourself with unnecessary artificial emergencies on those. Okay, I talked a little bit about engineering development cycle. Now let's switch track a little bit to operations, which is your backend, how you manage your server, how you deploy your code, etc. So originally, SMU is developed everything in the cloud. All our servers, all our services, everything. Um, by the time of October 2011, um, the cloud getting a little bit too cloudy for us. So <laughs> what happened is, one is we're facing outages, we're facing unpredictable network latencies. Another is our monthly bill just skyrocketed. We can have no control over it because we're streaming content, we're doing storing files, and our user base are growing like crazy. The last one is our, net, our architecture by that time, that was about two years ago, was not tuned for cloud at all. So we couldn't scale at that moment. So we made a conscious decision at that time, we moved everything into a colo facility. Basically, we built our own, own servers. The biggest thing for this is we're trying to use hardware to give us headroom to scale up while we re-architect our architecture to scale out. So this is actually a very interesting topic by that time, two years ago, but we made that switch and we couldn't be more happier. Right now we have about five racks and about 150 servers in our colo, and next year we're looking for probably expand at least a double of that. So that's just one some experience to share with you, our experience, and also want to quickly go through how, how our network architecture looks. So we have all the clients, iOS, Android, browsers. They come to our colo. We have Cisco switches with multiple um, gigabps bandwidth, and everything comes in pair, obviously. You have to handle failover. Uh, we use HA proxy as our H uh, load balancer, and all our app server backend is written in Java on, with Play framework. We use Redis extensively for caching, job queuing, and the data structure, which is actually a very important server for the, to make the whole social part work. We still are very traditionally using MySQL, master-master uh, replications, a set of clusters. They are handling all the transactional persistence. Then we use, we use a job queue to feed all the performances through a, a pool of render servers. They are basically the, doing all the heavy lifting to render all the group performances, all the music into the same track. Then we serve them through a content pipeline, which uses a, a lot of Nginx servers for the caching for the HTTP part, and the NetApp storage as our first tier. Uh, we also introduced something called HTTP storage. So that's our internal term called it. 
because we realized NFS is really not a great solution if you mount too many servers onto the same box. But in the meantime, all the content we have, they are immutable. They are stateless. There's no reason to pay for NFS on the locking on the state. So we introduced a middle layer to do the HTTP. So all the app servers and content servers, they talk through the HTTP server to fetch stuff from the storage. And also, we use a lot of uh, analytics. So we use Hadoop, Hive, uh, Vertica, and also we use Mixpanel as an external service to analyze our events. And things are running on Linux. So you are redundant, but in one data center? Yes, okay. as of now, yes. It's basically a risk you have to balance yeah, yeah, yourself, yeah, yeah. yes. So one thing we did is, one principle we do is, we, all, we want to control our own future. That's one thing around how you build a data center. So a lot of things you do is you want to measure and tune. You want a predictable performance. You don't want to, today you call a server, it respond in 10 second, 10 millisecond network latency. Tomorrow it's 100 millisecond network latency. Then you have to ask your question, what the hell am I doing? Am I tuning for what, right? So that's one reason in our colo, we definitely have a lot of beautiful hardware. People always think, oh, it's a commodity now, nobody cares, let's go to the cloud. But hardware, has a lot of room for you to scale up. If you can utilize that, why not? That will simplify your architecture, your scaling logic much, much more than you can imagine. For example, SSD drives. Two years ago, it's not available in the cloud. Now it is. However, if SSD is not enough, you can go to Fusion I.O. or whichever. All of them can boost your MySQL performance like significantly. Right? NetApp storage comparing to whatever the cloud storage you're going to use, it's just night and day. I mean, once you pay for it, you got it, you will know. One lesson we learned is don't build your own storage. It's definitely not something you want to play with. So we had an outage with that, and it's a very painful time. So like I said, you made a simple, very simplified architecture, and you make sure failure is an exception. It's not a norm. You prepare for it, but you don't design or generalize things for it. That actually goes back to the KISS rule. And try to be, make yourself a little bit away from the too much third-party dependencies. We got bit a couple of times is when we're trying to push code to production, uh, GitHub went down. Then we're like, oh shit, there's a huge bug there. We have to push, but we cannot pull the code. <laughs> you have to wait there for like half an hour until they come back up. So why? Why you want to introduce this kind of third-party dependencies, right? Same thing with all these other third parties, you call them, you have to be very careful to segment yourself from their failures. Make sure you have a timeout, make sure you do not retry indefinitely, make sure when they fail, you don't. That's a very, very important thing. And very quickly, a lot of people talk about NoSQL, whichever, our experience is there's no silver bullet. You just pick the best tool for yourself for the purpose. So we actually, that's why we're using a mix of MySQL, Hadoop, and Redis in that thing. Now let's talk about analytics very quickly. So big data is a very sexy term everywhere, but if you're not careful, you got garbage in and garbage out. Collecting 1.5 billion events is not something I'm proud of, but it all depends on what you get out of it, right? If you're not careful, imagine this, analytics is a very, very, very delicate thing because it's a cross-team effort. You have to make sure it's defined correctly, it's instrumented correctly on the client, it's collected correctly, and analyzed correctly. 
So there's many, many things can go wrong in this, and definitely takes many iterations to get it right. The tools will help, but still it's up to you how you want to use the data. So when you look at analytics, usually you will see your CEO or your product manager yell at you, I want the data now. Everyone seems like feel this is a given. Right? I launched a product, how did it go? Well, not that simple. So what we did, we instrumented a lot of um, user events. To each event has its own, we call super property. This is a mixed panel term. Basically, it's a lot of user attributes you tag with each event. Then you can analyze a group by those attributes to analyze all these user events. See how many people use the app today, how many people purchased. So they convert from the daily active to the purchasing behavior, all these attach rate, you can call it. We also build a pipeline. So when you collect it, you send it to a log files, then you consolidate them into Hadoop, you move to Vertica for some key metrics, and then you also send to Mixpanel for a lot of self-serve analytics used by PM and designer. So we use Hive, SQL, Mixpanel. And try not to analyze too many things. You definitely need to define your key metrics to track. Don't try to look for everything. Sometimes they're just noise. They create problems for you, not beneficial. And don't lie with analytics, please. So a lot of people come to analytics and say, I know what I want. Just prove it to me. No. <laughs> you have to have an engineering team really thorough, tell them, no, I have to spend my time and try to give you an objective answer. A lot of time when you do A-B test, make sure you do statistical significance analysis. You need to reach a certain sample size before you make a decision. Don't pick the result too early. And try to do apple to apples comparison instead of apple to oranges. This is mostly applicable to how you assign users to different A-B group. So I went through all these um, things about how we build it. And the last thing I want to say is today we also launched our smu.com website, which is uh, a web interface to tag into all our user-generated content and performances, allow you to discover, discover talent, and also treat it as a, an audio, a radio station. Plus, you can also do all these social interaction with our users in the platform. And thank you very much. That's pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs>